Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, from the team that brought you the Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Ashley Steckler. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 379 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, Zach is talking with Justine Humanaski about Web3, DAOs, and NFTs. What the heck are they? And should you even care? Today's podcast is brought to you by MyCase, Posh, and LaPay. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll talk more about them later on. So, Ashley, we told our audience a few weeks ago that we have just completed basically a month with like a third of our team on an extended leave for various great reasons. So today we thought we'd circle back and kind of talk about what we learned from that experience and how happy we are to have them back. Yes, I'm very excited to have everyone back, have a little bit more normalcy. We actually had probably six weeks, we're going on six weeks of multiple trips, leaves, vacations, for various reasons, all of which we planned. Our teams have looked a little bit sparse. It'll be really nice to have everyone back for sure. It's coming up soon. Yeah. I think we had a lot of takeaways. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, while it was at times, you know, there was a little bit more on our plate, like I'd like to think it wasn't too bad. We tried to do as much work ahead of time as we could, like knowing we had deadlines coming up. So like work that would normally get done in April was already done and just waiting for us. So that was nice. But I think for me, my biggest takeaway is the importance of what I'm going to call the handoff document. You know, that when that person leaves, really being very clear and documenting, here's where my projects are. This is what I need you to do while I'm gone. You know, this is what still needs to be done. Like there's just a lot that happens in that transition. And while the person has done a great job to get ready for the, their leave, it becomes super important that everybody else who's left knows where all those things stand and, and what they need to do to pick up and carry it forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think the handoff document is a nice way to just have everyone be able to say, here's where it is here's what I'm going to pick up. Here are the things that need to be done, right? We had a lot of batching, which was really awesome. We have password managers and project management systems. We have systems documentation. You know, there's a lot of things that we do prior to someone leaving that we certainly were doing in this six weeks of various people being out, but you can have systems up to date and you can reassign project system tasks, right? We make sure that there aren't things on our plate that become overdue when we're out. You can have all of your passwords shared to the appropriate people, you know, checking email or making sure that different account access is there. And you can have in the system, all of the things up to date so that people can jump in. But a handoff document is so handy because it's almost like a a memo of like, here's where I am so that people can refer back. Yeah. And so our team members did that. And maybe there's even some lessons of what should be in that document, because 
Sometimes it was super helpful and super clear. And other times maybe, you know, could have been a little bit more clear in certain areas. And so it's really helpful to also think through, you know, what needs to be in this document. And I know for us, you know, one person put like, these are the things I do on a daily basis. And here's who's going to be doing them moving forward. This is what I do weekly. These are some big projects I have going on. Here are random things I do that nobody thinks about. You know, it was super helpful, though, to kind of see it in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Here are important dates that are going to happen when I'm out, just so that everyone has kind of that high level view of what's happening. I think another thing that's important is to have the people that you're handing stuff off to look at it with you so that you can ask ahead of time, okay, what is this piece? And if I get stuck here, you know, you say that so-and-so is going to be handling it, just kind of walk through it together so that you're both on the same page. Not that you leave it as a document for them to see, you know, Monday morning. Yeah. And then I think my third piece of advice, if we kind of broke that up into two pieces, would be as you're handing projects off or work off while you're going to be gone, to help the person who's receiving it understand the priorities. Mm -hmm. Because you're basically asking someone else to do two jobs. And so inevitably, right? Like if you just take two people's jobs and put them together on one, like that is a lot of work and more work than they would normally do, even if you've batched work and kind of tried to get, you know, ahead of the game. And so I think it where I saw, you know, an opportunity for us to do better in the future was sometimes the person who was taking on that new role didn't understand or had a hard time seeing like, is this a high priority? And being able to say like, yes, do not let this ball drop. If you do like this thing over here that that actually does take up a good bit of my time really doesn't matter. And if it's still a mess when I get back, okay, we can fix that. But this other thing is super important to the business and you cannot let it drop and it has to be done. And sometimes, you know, it's hard for new people stepping into a role to really be able to kind of come in and understand that. And so that was my job. A lot of the times, like sort of as the leader of the team, I found myself over the past couple of weeks kind of flying in or what's what would be the right term, like parachuting in and helping mm -hmm. that person like triage and be like, you know what? Yep, we can just hold off on that. Not important. Or let me reassign that because that's easy to do. Or actually, let me just do it because I can do it in five minutes and you've never looked at it before. And helping get people so that they had a manageable amount on their plate with the people being out. Yeah, absolutely. I saw that coming up too. And that was something that I've been thinking about as, as we've had people out helping each person and the team decide what are my priorities on my own plate of the things I do every day, the projects I have coming up and how do I merge that together with the things that I'm taking on from someone else. It was interesting. I think we did well. I'm actually looking forward to the next time that we have a convergence of multiple <laughs> trips and leaves and other things, because we have a lot of retrospectives. I know you and I have been keeping a list of like, this is a minor thing, but we don't need to do that again. And so let's have it on the list and make sure that next time we, we capture that. Yeah. So if you find yourself with a lot of your team out at the same time, don't panic. You too can survive it, but you do have to be intentional about it for sure. Like we, and we knew it was coming for months. And so we had done a lot of planning up to leading up to it. But I agree. I think I think the overall the team did a great job. But I am also very excited to have everybody back. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Now here's Zach's conversation with Justine. 
Hi, I'm Justine Humanansky. I currently lead DAO strategy, business development, and meta governance at a Series A startup called Rabbit Hole. And Rabbit Hole is guiding users through Web3, helping them learn how to use protocols and become contributors. Prior to Rabbit Hole, I was a venture capital investor at a fund called Playground Global. I did my MBA at UC Berkeley, where I focused on crypto since early 2017. Prior to that, I did my CFA, was an equity research analyst at Barclays. And prior to that, I was a professional ballerina. So you really haven't haven't done much in your life, Justine. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, the professional I ballerina. I bored easily. Yeah. Yeah, that's, what it, that's what it sounds like. The professional ballerina comes out of nowhere at the end of that. But, but yeah. that's, that's fantastic. Uh, it sounds like you're you know dedicated to your tasks. Justine, thanks for being with me. I really appreciate it. And all joking aside, you obviously know a lot about Web3 and DAOs and NFTs and, and that area. And that's what I kind of want to talk about today, because there's a lot of people in our audience who are interested in that. But it is a it's a murky, cloudy, opaque sort of area for a lot of us, because, you know, quite frankly, many of us don't understand Web2 and how the Internet works now. Yeah. So I guess starting there might be might be helpful is helping us understand kind of what we mean by Web3 when we talk about that. Got it. Yeah, this is actually, so when I worked at Barclays as an equity research, I research analyst, I covered large cap internet, which basically was all the big iconic Web2 platforms. And mm -hmm. that's why I got interested in crypto because when I heard about Ethereum, I understood this was not just a technology that could be used for monetary applications like Bitcoin, right. but that it was more of this like infrastructure layer that you could build applications on. Mm -hmm. And some of the characteristics of it could help us address some of the downsides of Web 2. So I'll back up and explain. Web, web 1 is basically like the original internet, kind of like the protocol levels. It was basically read, like you read access. You could yep. read information that was hosted on websites. Okay. Web Two was basically when it became read and write access. So you could start posting content to say Facebook or reviews on a TripAdvisor or something, mm -hmm. but the user could start to interact with the content and post their own content. Okay. A lot of those platforms kind of were the pioneers for things like e-commerce or search or social networks, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Some of the downsides of the way web 2 has developed there was no native identity layer incorporated into web 2 uh -huh. i won't get into like the reasons for that but what that caused was that each application that you use in web 2 you need to kind of establish your identity separately with um so yeah. i have an account with facebook and i have a gmail account that google uses and i have a different account for netflix and a different account for amazon uh-huh and then the business model that was kind of developed around that became very focused on monetizing basically that user's identity within your platform. So Facebook has a whole list of data mm -hmm. and characteristics that are attached to your like Facebook login, and they use that to help advertisers target certain types of users. And so it's, it's Facebook and the advert advertisers mm -hmm. that kind of benefit from this system, but not not really the user um, that's interacting with these products or, or contributing content. And then also because you have these individual 
identity silos, basically, the tendency is for monopolies more or less <laughs> to develop because you get very strong network effects, actually, and then you can't access anything outside of that system. So that's right. like a general summary of like some of the downsides of um, how Web2 developed. Mm -hmm. The concept of what Web3 basically expands upon the evolution of the internet to add ownership. So it's read access, write access, and then you can basically, you have ownership over digitally native items. And you have just, these, it's built on more open networks. Mm -hmm. And because they're open, there is no, there are no silos of identity or data, et cetera. And so the system should develop in a much more open way where the user is kind of at the center, right. as opposed to these platforms being at the center and the user being supporting those platforms in a way that is extractive to the user. So okay. Web3 is this concept that you can own digital items that, that's all built in this like open network and that the the user is much more at the center of it or kind of like in control of their experience across all these applications because there are no like walls around them. Okay. And so kind of to extrapolate through there, the reason that the user is at the center in something of Web3 is that these identities are kind of kept in a wallet. Your identity is your own and you're using that to connect to these websites or these applications. Exactly. And then that allows you to say, okay, well, I'm Zach Glazer over here. And I'm also that same Zach Glazer who has the same stuff with him over here on this website. And I have control of my stuff behind me. Is that kind of a, a way of dumbing it down for me? Exactly. Yeah. So, right. So everything's kind of tied to an address that's on the blockchain. All your transactions that take place across mm -hmm. applications are also record on the blockchain and tied to that address. And the way that this all works is that basically anybody can go to that address and see the different transactions that are tied to it. So it's tied to the address, which is on an open database, more or less on a yeah. transparent blockchain. And so any application can look at it, but no one application actually owns that information. Okay. So one of the, the examples I like to kind of use in my head here is if I'm a songwriter, let's say, and I write a particular song, I record the song, and I have that asset connected with my identity, I can then take that asset to a platform and let that platform use that asset, but it's still my asset as opposed to posting a video of me singing that song on Facebook, and then it becomes Facebook's asset. That's right. You would, I mean, there are other reasons you might want to do that, like to leverage a different platform's distribution, et cetera. But mm -hmm. yeah, the owner, the ownership of these things will always tie back to that wallet address. Okay. And these assets are portable. And again, it's like the user that's in control of their portability and where they live at any given time. Okay. So one of the, the places that I go with this is that now we've got a way of kind of keeping track of a person outside of these individual aggregators, I, I guess. And so we can kind of create a broader identity, create a mm -hmm. more robust identity for ourselves on the, on the internet. And I say that with a lilt at the end as a question. <laughs> um, my excitement, I guess, in this type of platform is the ability to create communities with this. Mm -hmm. So 
With Web2, social networks like Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, for that matter, are a place where we interact. It's a place where we can read, write, edit, but it is a place where we don't have a lot of control over, we don't have a lot of autonomy and a lot of control over our own information that we put on there. Web3 is allowing, whether it does it or not, but, but has the potential to allow for that type of thing to change fundamentally, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in web two, yeah, social networks is a huge innovation that kind of came out of web two. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the way those networks like developed over time or that the connections became, you know, kind of as this platform scaled, the connections became less and less relevant and or like strong. So you would just be connected to these people that you had very weak relationships with in actuality. And it became very easy to like posts or accept a, a request on LinkedIn, et cetera. And so mm -hmm. that all the activity that was kind of happening on these social networks didn't mean that much. Like the weight of a Facebook like is very low in terms of actually indicating how much you like that thing or that idea or how much you would actually take steps to act on that mm -hmm. in real life, which is what the advertisers primarily care about. So web three is different because Again, it's kind of tied to these on-chain transactions and ownership of things, and that can be individual ownership or collective ownership. And so kind of every action connection um, that you make in Web3 has more weight to it or meaning to it. So for example, mm -hmm. I think that DAOs, which stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization and is basically a digitally native way for people to coordinate to accomplish any given goal really mm -hmm. look very much like the web three version of social networks um, where it's people coming together but the differences are that there's usually collective ownership so everybody that belongs to a DAO has contributed some assets to that DAO that will be used to accomplish whatever goal that DAO is trying to accomplish so again that's kind of a higher you know who if you choose to join a DAO that's a higher kind of barrier or bar than it is to connect with somebody like on LinkedIn, because you're kind of, you're owning stuff together. You need to make decisions together. You need to accomplish this goal together. Mm -hmm. And so these organizations, they're more of a community than a social network, you know, like, yes, I can have a Facebook group. Yes, I can have people that I think are my close friends in Facebook or something like that. But these DAOs inherently, because people have skin in the game, inherently create a community of people that have to work together, that have to, and they, yeah. they have a common goal or a common idea that they're, they're coming around. Otherwise, they theoretically wouldn't have come to this DAO. Right. Yeah. I think so. People talk about collective ownership with the DAO a lot, but I think the collective decision making um, people talk less about and is actually probably the more interesting part. I mean, collective ownership creates like some level of trust, basically, mm -hmm. in that DAO, whether that be the technology that's supporting that DAO or the other members of the DAO. Um, but the collective decision making is really like you can't outsource your participation in the DAO, right? Everybody's there. And if ever, if nobody does anything, then nothing will get done and the DAO won't accomplish the goal. So you have to much more actively 
participate in the DAO than you do. I mean, you don't necessarily need to participate per se on Facebook, or if you mm-hmm. don't as an individual, you know, Facebook will continue <laughs> to run. Um, whereas in a DAO, if like the individual people that are part of that group are not contributing or participating, mm-hmm. then nothing will happen. <laughs> gotcha. Because there it's, it's a, has to be a fully collective thing. So let's pause right there and we'll take a break to hear a little bit from our sponsors and we'll be right back to discuss a little bit more in depth of, you know, what we really mean even by DAO. The Lawyer's Podcast is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists. As an attorney, do you ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call while you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting, or schedule an appointment with a client while you're elbow deep in an important case? Well, that's where Posh comes in. Posh is a team of professional, U.S.-based, live virtual receptionists who are available 24-7, 365. They answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. With Posh handling your calls, you can devote more time to billable hours and building your law firm. And the convenient Posh app puts you in total control of when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is always just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Even better, Posh is extending a special offer to Lawyerist listeners. Visit Posh.com forward slash lawyerist to learn more and start your free trial of Posh Live Virtual Receptionist Services. That's posh.com forward slash lawyerist. And from LawPay, the gold standard in payments for the legal industry. For more than 15 years, our partners at LawPay have been helping lawyers get paid faster. In fact, 62% of bills sent via LawPay are paid the same day. To learn how you can enjoy faster and more reliable payments, schedule your demo at lawpay.com forward slash lawyerist. And from my case, tired of wasting time on administrative tasks, want to bill more hours, get paid faster, and ensure the success of your team? With my case law practice management software, your firm will have access to all the tools needed to run more efficiently. Digitize your client intake, manage documents in one place, and track every billable hour so you can focus on what matters most to your firm. My case is an affordable, all-in-one solution that gets your business up and running quickly. Hundreds of lawyers have rated MyCase the number one legal case management software. After making the switch to MyCase, one law firm saved over 100 hours per month, time that would have otherwise been spent on tedious administrative tasks. It's time to choose a case management software that works for you. If you're looking to supercharge the growth of your firm, go to mycase.com forward slash lawyerist and sign up for a free trial. Right now, lawyerist listeners get three months at no cost on a new annual plan. Offer cannot be combined with other discounts. Visit mycase.com forward slash lawyerist to get started. So we're back. Justine, we're, we're talking about DAOs and how Web3 is kind of has the potential to change how we interact with people and how we participate on the internet, frankly. And so I, I wanted to dig a little deeper into DAOs. I think we throw that word around and I, I see it a lot on Twitter in the legal tech space even. But I don't know that it's obviously distributed autonomous organization, but I, I don't know that a lot of people necessarily know what it means to be in that, to be in that organization and to interact yeah. with that. So how does somebody, I mean, just get basic, how does somebody join a DAO? Yeah. So one thing I'll say, right, uh, you're right. People very loosely throw the term DAO around. And so right now, and in actuality, DAO can be anything from a community that's supporting a fully autonomous protocol where voting rights are 
associated with tokens that are very widely distributed through the token holder base that votes on what that DAO should do. That's mm -hmm. one form of a DAO, but people also use that term to refer to basically a group chat that has a shared bank account, which would be kind of like the loosest sense in which people use that word. Okay. And so it's hard to talk about DAOs in, in generalized terms because there are many different types. They have many different goals. They're set up with many different structures, et cetera. Mm -hmm. In general, though, how you would you would join a DAO, there's, there's pretty much two ways to do that. And one is these like larger public DAOs that tend to support protocols usually have, you need to own some of the that protocol's token. And then you join their, usually it's a Discord server, which is where a lot of crypto companies kind of host their public communications. Mm -hmm. You can start voting on proposals with those tokens and joining the conversations in the Discord, et cetera. The second way is like more social DAO or smaller DAO in that those you tend to get like invited to and they have you know not tens of thousands of people but maybe a hundred or so and those yeah you kind of get invited to because you know that we call the people that started out like usually the core team and there's mm -hmm. usually a handful of those people that then get other people involved okay um, but that works similarly like you would be invited to join some messaging platform where that DAO is going to communicate and then um, there may or may not be a token, but there will be some sort of voting system, which is how that, that DAO will make decisions. Mm -hmm. In general, like these DAOs tend to be, um, from like a technology perspective, what's called a multi-signature wallet. It tends to be Gnosis safe. That's kind of the very, very dominant wallet that DAOs use. But what it mm -hmm. is, is just a wallet that can only execute transactions with a minimum threshold of signatures. Okay. So you need to collectively basically agree for the funds that everybody has pulled together to be used in, in any way. And then around that multi-stick, again, there's some kind of voting system whereby the DAO makes decisions. And a lot of times that's tied to a token, but there are DAOs that operate without a token. Okay. But, so that's like the basic kind of technology. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah what a DAO is at its core. Okay. So organization-wise, we're kind of talking around a, a bunch of lawyers here. Uh, organization-wise, it is an entity, you know, that, that is its own thing, th theoretically, and in, in a base sense. And it sounds like in, the, in that last example, you're saying this entity has its own wallet on the mm -hmm. chain, and that wallet is controlled by multiple signatures. You know, multiple participants have to make decisions in order to make that wallet do the things that the DAO wants it to do. Right. And so we're talking about having a collection of people that are running an organization. And I kind of want to go back to, we use the term discord server, and I don't know that that's necessarily yeah. de defined here. This is an area where it is a private area where essentially people can communicate they can chat. It's kind of feels like Slack or even, you yeah. know, Facebook messaging back and forth, but it's a little bit more, I don't want to say complex, but more robust than that. But it's a private place that is not owned by Facebook or Reddit or something like that, right? Yeah. So Discord started as a platform mostly where gamers were communicating. Okay. Um, it is similar to Slack in that you can have many channels and different threads. And so it's 
decent for coordination, which is kind of the goal of the higher level goal of DAOs is really to coordinate coordinate people online. Mm -hmm. There are like many downsides to using Discord because it wasn't designed to support DAOs. And so I think in the future, we'll see solutions that are designed for that be used more. But for now, the vast majority of things are happening inside this Discord server. In terms of the question about a DAO being an entity, that's a... a million dollar question (laughs) Um, i mean like in their purest form or like theoretically right there kind of these digitally native internet organizations that don't have an entity and don't have a jurisdiction and are not run by any one given person so it's you know distinct from a corporation per se in, in practice what's happening is like we're seeing DAOs basically wrap legal entities around themselves. And so that can either be, sometimes that's an LLC. Sometimes it's actually a C-Corp. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the DAO will split into different segments, basically that have different legal structures around them. That's like very much a developing part of the space where I don't think there's like a, the industry hasn't coalesced on what the answer there is. There are Mm -hmm. states like Wyoming that have tried to create framework for DAOs specifically, that becomes difficult because you have to define DAO, like the word DAO, what that means in order to right. create that framework. And that's, you know, nobody agrees on what that is. So <laughs> that's definitely a challenge. But there are, yeah, there are states that are trying to to create regulation and framework specifically for DAOs. So calling it an entity, especially in a, a legal sphere and, and thinking of it as a legal entity in and of itself is not necessarily a good idea. Um, so that makes me think that there would be some potential for legal advice in a DAO or, or potential for some sort of need for that sort of direction or that sort of leadership in, in something like that. I mean, it, if it's not hashed out already, then yeah. there's a lot to be said there, right? Yeah. I mean, I would say Web3 as an industry in in general is very much on the frontier and there's a lot of gray areas and kind of existing regulation or laws are not well suited to this new technology. And so I would say demand for lawyers or counsel in the space is huge. It's different than other industries. So I would say usually around like uh, startups like 10th between higher number 10 and 20 is probably a general counsel, which is much earlier than you would see in like a traditional startup. Mm-hmm. And I would say like the top areas are really like entity specific things. So what type of legal entity is, is optimal for your company and ultimately your DAO? And then like which jurisdiction do you want to be subject to because the regulations are different everywhere, et cetera. And some of them are more friendly and forward-looking than others. Mm-hmm. The other is like around a token and how to issue that in the in the best way that will meet the needs and kind of goal of the, of the company while, while being compliant. And then the third one is really like a DAO, like how do you set up that entity and do everything <laughs> by the book as much as possible. That book's not really written yet, so that's <laughs> challenging. Um, but yeah, there's huge demand for people that understand what DAO is and, and can start to work through that. Gotcha. So kind of a, a brave new world, but of business law in a sense, or, yeah. or governance law. I mean, it's it's the same basic animal, but very different and a lot of potential out there for, for people to to affect that that area. 
sure. So I want to back up a little bit to make sure that we're, we're not just glossing over anything here. And I want to kind of talk about token, the idea of a token, and that really Web3 is able to do what it's doing, and it's able to be, frankly, Web3 because of tokens. But what do we mean when, we're, when we say, you know, a non-fungible token, a token, all of those things in order to participate in a DAO or something like that? Yeah, um, it's a good question. That is one of the other innovations of Web3 that I didn't mention is basically these like token economies. And so the business model is different. It's not really supported by advertising. It's more supported supported by these tokens and kind of ownership rights that gives to the token holders. But at a basic level, token is just basically a, a digital representation of some asset. When we say non-fungible token, that means that each one of those NFTs is unique. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't exchange my NFT for your NFT one-to-one because they're valued differently. Right. Whereas if I have one Ether, which is the token for the Ethereum network, and you have one Ether, we can exchange that. That's fungible because mm-hmm. they're they're exactly the same, basically. Like the US dollar, one dollar bill is fungible with another dollar bill. Those things mean the same thing to everybody. Okay. Yep. So you you can have a fungible to non-fungible tokens, I think that, that should be clear. We can have a fungible token that represents a percentage of anything, basically. It can represent a piece of a commodity like gold. It can represent a piece of a total supply of a currency like Bitcoin, or it can represent a a revenue stream that comes from a protocol. So yeah, you can think of them in different ways, but at a basic level, that's what it is. The tokens, why it's relevant to DAOs, generally come with voting rights. So there's there's something called the governance token, which is just basically representing your voting percentage for that DAO. And there's no other monetary value or like revenue streams that accrue mm-hmm. to it. It's just your, just gives you the ability to vote. Um, but that's how right now DAOs make decisions. It's usually token weighted voting. So one token equals one vote. Mm-hmm. And then you go to make a decision and you vote with those tokens. And that would be a fungible token, most likely. Correct. Okay. Yep. But I could use a non-fungible token in a DAO in order to but we kind of show... Well, no, the, the fungible token would be showing membership in the DAO and governance and, and whatnot. But I, I could use a non-fungible token to do membership in the DAO as well, right? Yeah. So so right now, fungible tokens are the most prevalent way to vote. Okay. NFTs are usually used to gate access, basically. So like you're allowed to participate in the DAO if you have that NFT or you can join the, the server where the DAO communicates you can do that on a technological level by ensuring they have that NFT. Okay. So it serves mostly as an access badge right now. Um, in the future, you could see more models where, you know, there's a lot of downsides to token-weighted voting because like the people that have the most tokens or the most money um, have the most voting influence and maybe you don't want your community to have that dynamic. Mm-hmm. So I think in some cases we'll see the model moving to one person, one vote. That's what you actually want. And okay. NFTs would be a way to do that. Okay. Justine, this, is, this has been a lot of help for me. This is obviously stuff that I, I did not know, frankly, before talking with you, Vince. And so I, I really appreciate you sharing your expertise on Web3. 
Now, you're also connected with, as you said earlier, an organization called Rabbit Hole, right? Correct. And the goal there is to educate people and get people involved in Web3 and kind of help them understand some of the underlying aspects of this. So if there are other questions that people have, other other ideas that aren't quite clear, I think Rabbit Hole would be would be something that would help them gain connection with Web3, right? Yeah, that was going to be kind of my final piece of advice is I think the best way to learn about this space is by doing. I mm-hmm. think I spent too much time reading white papers and trying to understand like the <laughs> details of <laughs> how the different blocks were connecting and why this consensus mechanism was better than another uh-huh. and not enough time just actually using, you know, setting up my wallet, using some of the different protocols join a DAO, get in the Discord server and see what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Again, and you can you can do those things on a ba- like a basic beginner observer kind of level, but I think actually using the products or actually being part of a conversation in a DAO is really going to be the fastest way to get up to speed with what's happening, what problems they're facing, what works, what doesn't work, what's hard about it. You know, our UX still has a long way to go. So yeah, my my best advice to people is to to try to learn by doing. Well, yeah, and so people don't have to get in and, and buy some expensive NFT in order, you know, on OpenSea in order to do that. They don't have to choose whether they're a punk or an ape or, or something like that. They yeah. can, you know, just get a wallet, get started, get connected with the community, and then participate in that community in, in some way. Bring your whatever expertise you have to that community if it if it needs it. Exactly. Yeah. I think um, I'm a big fan of getting involved in things on a small scale in the beginning, mm-hmm. because again, the, the important thing is like you're doing the transactions, you're contributing, you're participating, you're part of the conversation, the kind of like size and scale at what you're doing. That is not relevant if the goal is learning. Right. Okay. Well, Justine, thanks. Thanks for being with me um, today. I really appreciate this. This is a, a lot of information and there is a lot of information kind of in Web3. It is a brave new world out there. Um, but it, if people want to connect with you, they can find you on Twitter at justinehy.eth. Correct. Yep. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. We need more lawyers in the space. Revival's hiring a GC, actually. So <laughs> I'd love to hear from people. That is good to know. Yeah. So if you're um, you know interested in this space, connect with Justine, connect with Rabbit Hole. Really, I, I think the big thing is go participate and feel around and see what it's like and see if you like it. So again, Justine, thanks thanks for being with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Brittany Felix. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com forward slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com forward slash community forward slash lab to schedule a 10 minute call with our team to learn more. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.